Well, good morning. We're glad you're here with us this morning at Broadway 1109. We're going to invite you to stand with us as we worship together this morning. Let's stand and sing. The dark tried to hide and steal you away. Death tried to keep you inside of the grave. The enemy fought you. He tried, but he lost. You cannot be stopped. When we cried for freedom, you tore down the walls. The weight of our burdens, you carried it all. Our fears and our failures hang dead on the cross. You cannot be stopped. Sing together this morning. Hoover a mountain, breaker of chains. Jesus is triumph over the stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing we sing. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. Cooler of mine, breaker of chains, Jesus is right. Over the grave, the battle is won. Nothing can stand against our God. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won. 
Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. We are so thankful that you're here this morning. We want to say welcome to Broadway 1109. We are glad that you joined us this morning. If you're new with us, if this is your first time or your first time in a while, we're especially excited that you're here, and we want to say welcome to you. We hope that you got a bulletin on your way in. If you did, then there's a little perforated tab on the corner of that bulletin. We hope that you'll fill that out, tear it off, and you can drop it in the offering plate here in a few moments. Or if you missed that, that's okay. We've got a second opportunity for you. You can leave it at our welcome desk located in the back of our sanctuary on your way out this morning. And that connection card is just our way of getting to know you a little bit and learning how we can best minister to you and your family uh, in the coming days here at Broadway. We hope you're paying attention to the screens as you come in and your bulletins to keep up with all that's going on here at our church. We're excited about the days ahead and what God is going to do in and amongst us. We are so thankful that you're here this morning. Would you pray with me? And we're going to continue in worship. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that because of you, we have a reason to sing. We have a reason to worship, Lord, and that uh, through your sacrifice, we can approach your throne boldly. Lord, now as we continue in our service this morning, God, we pray that you are honored, that you're glorified, that you are lifted high, because, Lord, we know that yours is the only name that's worthy of all of our praise. And so, Lord, we give it to you this morning. God, we pray that you would move in and amongst our midst. Lord, we know that your spirit is already present with us. Lord, but we pray that we would feel you in a new and a fresh way this morning, that we would experience your touch and your power. God, we love you. We thank you most of all for Jesus, and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. We're going to invite you to stand as we continue singing together this morning. Let's stand and sing.
Let's bow as we go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We thank you for allowing us to come to worship in your house. Father, we pray that you would be with each one here, that everything that is said and done would bring you honor and glory. And Father, at this time of uh, taking the offering, we pray that during this worship that you would be honored and glorified in this. And let us not forget that the reason we're here is to share Jesus with others. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat as we continue to sing. came to the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died, your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve. Washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more you means less to me, take everything. Cause all you is all me, take everything. I want you to stand and join us as we continue to sing this morning. You are my life and my treasure, the one that I can't live without. Here at your feet, my desires and dreams I lay down. Yes, here at your feet. My desires and dreams I lay down. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I
is more of you, means less of me. Take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. One more time. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. Father, that's our prayer this morning. Lord, we pray that you would remove anything that doesn't look like you. And make us more like Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. The grace that saves us. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that sanctifies us. And makes us more like you. More holy and more perfect in your sight. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be. This is an exciting time in Bulgaria. And we are seeing God move in incredible ways, even though it hasn't been an easy road. Communism fell over 25 years ago, yet today people still carry many of the prejudices of the past. Even though they come out of a time when people were afraid to have Bibles in their homes, there's still a resistance and a veil when they hear the gospel. However, that's not all that is happening. We have seven families living and engaging the culture around us. We're also seeing nationals engage in the task. We're seeing people like Theodor lead people to the Lord. For example, Stefan, who has been sent by Theodor's church to pastor a new church plant outside the city. We're seeing people like Stanimir, who used to mock and persecute Christians, come to faith and eagerly share Christ with others. We are fortunate to be here, and we want to say thank you for the part you play in our lives as IME missionaries and for the role you play in the lives of the Bulgarians that we live and work among. It doesn't matter where you are in the U.S. or the size of your church, you are playing a part in spreading the gospel in Bulgaria. Two years ago, Kentucky signed this player out of Jamaica called Nick Richards. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a basketball player down the road here. And he struggled his first season. He showed up, and uh, he was turning the ball over. He just couldn't score. If you remember from two years ago, Nick Richards, he was billed as this five-star recruit. He was a McDonald's All-American. He was going to be a superstar, you know, one of these top ten players. Kentucky has drafted, well, not drafted, but recruited, soon to be drafted. And first few games, probably first year, we're watching this fellow and go, what on earth has happened? This, this guy's not a five-star. He's like a two-one-star. He, was, he wasn't doing very well at all. He's a big guy, like nearly seven feet tall. And then all of a sudden, two years go by, and he doesn't leave for the NBA, probably because he wouldn't have been drafted. But all of a sudden, he's still back this year as a junior, and now he's the star of the team. The reason Kentucky beat Texas Tech yesterday in overtime on their home court was because a player named Nick Richards, who two years earlier wouldn't even been allowed to be playing that game, 
he's now the star of the team. He's making free throws. He's scoring points. He's not turning the ball over. And you look at the fellow and go, was this the same boy from two years ago? Where, where did this guy come from? What a transformation. Just like Nick Richards was changed from really a lousy basketball player to a superstar, when we go to heaven, we will receive a glorified body that will be different from our body now. Today wraps up a four-week sermon series in the month of January. We've been talking about heaven, and we're going to be looking to scriptures here about what to expect, what will it be like when we find ourselves with the Lord, with Jesus in his presence. And we're going to answer every single question possible, if maybe not every, but every one common question possible about what it's going to be like for us while in heaven. If you have your bulletin, I hope you pull it out. You want to go ahead and pull out your sermon notes right here. Um, uh, the one there, we're going to be looking up scripture there in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Then we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 40. So make sure you pull that out because we'll definitely be referencing it. In the meantime, go ahead and turn your Bible to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing this book and he's writing it to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was under Roman rule, Roman authority. And what happened was if you were born into a, a land that was dominated by the Roman authorities, that did not mean by default that you were a Roman citizenship. For example, for us, if you're born here in America, anywhere in our country, you are a U.S. citizen. Even if you don't want to be a U.S. citizen, by default, if you're born in somewhere on our land, you're a U.S. citizen of America. That's all it takes you. It's just to somehow come over here or be here, and you're, you come into this world on U.S. soil. That makes you a U.S. citizen. And that's how we think of citizenship. That is not the case in Bible times. Even if you were born on Roman soil, which there was, they had a lot of territory at that point. By default, you were not a U.S. citizen or a Roman citizen. You had to have parents that were Roman citizens. You had to apply for citizenship. In many ways, you had to earn or purchase your citizenship. So it was a great value to be a Roman citizen. And what we're about to see here in this scripture passage Paul is going to tell us that being a Roman citizen in Bible times was certainly great, but your real citizenship, your true citizenship, is actually in heaven. And we need to begin thinking kingdom-mindedly that our citizenship, it's hard for us to do this because everything ingrained in us, we think of ourselves as Americans, we think of ourselves as voting as Americans, We think of ourselves as um, this is what Americans, and you're proud to be an American, which is great, which is a blessing and honor to be a U.S. citizen, which is wonderful. Many folks in the world would love to be be U.S. citizens. But that's not the greatest citizenship at all, and it's actually a citizenship in heaven. So look here in your Bibles. Philippians 
chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, Paul's telling us our citizenship, it's, it's, it's in another world. It's literally somewhere else. It's better than being a Roman or a U.S. citizen. Verse 21, look at this. He will transform the body of our humble condition. And what that means there, our humble condition, here on earth, we have diseases, we have illnesses, we have mental illness. You deal with spiritual illness. There's brokenness all around. None of that will be in heaven. None of it. There is a restoration in heaven of perfection of our bodies. So this humbleness that we have to deal with, it will not, it will not be like that. And here's why. Keep going here. Verse 21. It says here, He will transform the body of our humble condition. That's our broken condition. Into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. We will be transformed just like Jesus. That's our, that is how the change will be made. So we'll be like Jesus. So then the question is, alright, what was Jesus like? How can I identify being like Jesus. Let's think about Jesus. And this is where your little handout comes in from your bulletin. You know, Jesus, the Bible says, he began his ministry with his baptism when he was 30 years old. He had a three-year ministry. Jesus was crucified, and he was resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven when he was 33 years old. So the Bible tells us we will be like Jesus in heaven, in his likeness. So one of the common questions is, well, how old will I be in heaven? What will, I, what will my age be? I would, uh, I would be in the camp if you nailed me down and said, Pastor, how old am I going to be in heaven? I would look at Jesus and say, well, when Jesus ascended, he resurrected and ascended to heaven, he was 33. So, you know how we always say, over the hills, 40? We use Jesus as our model, and we're going to be 33 years old in heaven. Anytime you get over 33, you're going downhill. So do you remember when you were 33 years old? There you have it. There's your age in heaven. You say, what about babies? What about infants? What if a child passes away? You know, I was so proud of our president, President Donald Trump, this past Friday. He's first president in uh, this past um, week was the March for Life, and it's always held this time of the year because of the Roe v. Wade decision back in 1973 was handed down on the 23rd of January, 1971. And President Trump attended, his first U.S. president in person to actually attend that march. Do you know since 1973, there's been 61 plus, 62 million abortions in America. Say, what about these babies? These were lives that were cut short. Are they in heaven? 
The answer to that is yes. These are children that have not reached the age of accountability. Book of Jeremiah says God says he knows us even in the womb. Even in the womb before we're born, God knows who we are. It says he knit us together. You say, well, is this baby just a little infant running around to heaven? I would probably answer, if you ask me that question, says, what is that child going to be like? I would say that child would, we would see in heaven what that child would have been like when they're 33 years old as an adult. Now, I could be wrong on this information about that age group because the Bible does not exactly tell us we're going to be 33 years old. The Bible does tell us we're going to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, we know for a fact, was 33 when he ascended into heaven. So that's a common question that we see, the likeness of Christ. But then we get into other questions. What, what, what's it going to be like for us? What about tattoos? What about piercings? How do we, uh, what, if we uh, what if we're cremated? What about, uh, let's answer these questions. Bible here talks about in the Old Testament how we should, um, how we are in the New Testament says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So our body, we're to honor God with our body because Jesus Christ died for our body. Bible in the Old Testament tells us, the book of Leviticus, that we're not to uh, damage or um, defile our body. And one of the ways we can possibly do that is through um, mutilation of our body. So if you were to come to ask me, says, Daniel, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo, should I do it? I'd probably be in the camp that would discourage you from doing that. Or maybe possibly crazy piercings all over you. I'd discourage you for that. We are called as believers to honor God. We also do that with what we eat, with how we live. We live our lives that should be honoring Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ worked. He was a carpenter. The man was not lazy. He worked with his hands. He was taught from his father, Joseph. He learned a trade. He didn't just sit around doing nothing all day. He is our model that we are to honor our bodies. The Bible uses the word sanctification. That means holy. We are set apart and our body is holy for the Lord. So everything we do, we're honoring the Lord in that area of holiness. One of the most common questions that I'm asked when it comes to death is about cremation versus burial. I've even had several folks in our church ask the question, Daniel, should I be cremated? Or should I be buried? I think I've addressed this before a few months ago, but here it comes up the question when we read these verses about, about, uh, about what our bodies are going to be like. What happens if someone's cremated? Because cremation costs less. You can save money. But your goal shouldn't be a financial decision for that. Jesus, remember, He is our, always our model. Jesus was buried. Jesus' time, He grew up in a Jewish household, Jewish family. The Jews in the Old and the New Testament, they buried their dead. Jesus tells us, book of Matthew, when he returns at the second coming, that he will split the eastern sky and the dead in Christ will be, they will rise first. 
That's why if you go to the old part of Lexington Cemetery, I think I've shared this before, any old cemetery, if you notice, you've got to find the oldest part of the cemetery. And we're talking like 100 plus years old. Every old part of the cemetery, I guess they had a compass undertaker back then, and they looked at where the east was. They buried the dead always facing the east. They don't do it in new cemeteries anymore. Why? Because Jesus says he will return and the, from the east, from the eastern sky, and that way the dead in Christ will come up from the grave, the graves will burst forth, and be facing, first person you see is Jesus. So you tell your undertaker when you're going to be buried that you want to be buried facing east. Guys, that was a joke. We got to, there we go. I have to put it on cue to life. But there's truth to that. Look at that next time you're in an old cemetery. That comes from the scriptures. There's an expectation that my body, how I've lived here on earth, it will be reunited with the Lord in heaven. And we as believers, we hold to that hope. So now, what happens if someone is, say, lost at sea or they're burned? We know the Bible tells us that we return to dust. Jesus Christ, He can restore anyone. So even if someone is cremated, God can certainly put back, restore someone who has been cremated. But if you were to ask me, say, Daniel, I'm faced here, what do I do? Cremation? Burial, I would be in the burial camp. Jesus would be my model. And that's how I would answer that question. Flip over here in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Turn back in your scriptures here. I want to look at this other passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. While you turn there and you think about Jesus and his, the likeness of Jesus in our new glorified bodies. Jesus, Bible says in John chapter 20, he worked, walked through walls. Not only that, Jesus, it says he appeared out of nowhere with the disciples. You know, wouldn't it be neat to, instead of having to drive to church, you just appear and you want to open a door when you can walk through a wall? You just go right through. Those are characteristics of Jesus' resurrected body. If you've ever wondered about heaven, heaven's talked about in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 verse 16 tells us, the actual dimensions of what they call the New Jerusalem. That's the name of heaven, the New Jerusalem. It's 1,400 miles length by 14, listen to this, 1,400 miles high. It's actually a perfect square is what heaven will be like. That's Revelation 21, 16. tells us the exact dimensions. So that's unusual. I mean, you think about now, if you go, what, 12, 13 miles in the, in the air, if in, you're in actually technically outer space, so... There will be a very high elevation. Now, the moon's 239,000 miles away. The earth itself is almost 25,000 miles round. So heaven won't quite be as big as the earth, but it will be ex extremely large. How, what, what does all this mean? Now, think about it. 1,400 by 1,400 miles. There's a possibility you and I we could walk if we wanted to, but we also could go vertically up. We could fly. We know angels fly. Throughout the book of Revelation, they fly, or fly around. We also know in heaven, there will be no procreation. So the folks who are sealed here on earth, those that give their lives to Jesus today, that will be the exact same number of people in heaven. 
So nobody's having babies in heaven. The pop, there's not a little section of heaven in that 1400 by 1400 that's growing. Like there's no growth. The number of folks who get saved are the exact number for eternity that stay into heaven. Look here in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? That's a valid question. It's a good question. Now, look at the answer here that Paul gives. You know, typically, if someone were to ask a question, you might not answer this way. This is how Paul answers that question, because I thought verse 35 was a pretty good question. I mean, he starts out his answer as, you fool. And I think Matt Riley here, he teaches fourth and fifth grade Sunday school. Could you imagine, Matt, a fifth grader asking a question, and you're right, you're right off the bat, your answer is, you fool. I don't know. If that's a way to cut off question, future questions from your class. I don't know if I'd ask a question anymore if the teacher answered with, you fool. Well, anyway, that's how Paul was back then. So he started out his answer with, you fool. So I actually thought it was a good question in verse 35. So here, here's us foolish people. Here's our answer to our question. And the answer comes from agriculture. Do you know the agricultural cycle is life, death, and life again? Do you all know that? And that comes from a seed. You think about it. You have a crop. The crop dies. It dies during the winter in the fall. You have a harvest. The crop's going to die every year. It doesn't last. But it leaves a seed. Seed goes in the ground. Is a seed alive? No. Seed's not alive. You have to put the seed in the ground. Then it comes alive. Seed falls in the ground. And what happened? It comes to life. And here, that, that, that is the exact cycle. That's a picture of our salvation. We're alive right now. But when we receive Jesus in our hearts, when we get saved, God literally puts, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, that is the seed of God in our souls. He saves us. That's the blood of Jesus. We've been sealed when we have that seed. So when you and I die, and I have a heart attack and I fall down dead, that seed, just like the agricultural cycle, it comes to life. And that life is in heaven. That's the pattern. This is amazing. That's the pattern that God took agriculture and used that same cycle into our life. Life to death to life. But that's only for believers. Lost people who do not know Jesus do not experience second life. They die. You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless, look at this, it dies. Verse 37. And as for you, what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, meaning our body, as, as we know is our skin, our flesh, what we are today, it will not be the same. It will not be this body, but only a seed, and that seed's the Holy Spirit in our life. Perhaps of wheat or another grain. Verse 38 here. But God gives it a body as He wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. He's talking about our heavenly bodies here. Verse 39, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, i.e. us today, another for animals, obviously, another for birds, another for fish. Last verse, verse 40, it says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different 
than that of the earthly ones. Meaning, even though we will recognize one another, even though we might all be 33 years old and we'll, have, we'll recognize and, and there'll be existing friendships and you'll see the impact that you made for the gospel in heaven, our bodies will be different. It will still be some form of the same. The Bible uses the word as a brilliant body. It will, there will be a transformation that will occur. Just as Nick Richards changed from a bad basketball player to a superstar, we will transform from being a broken, fallen person here to living in this eternal, glorious state. So what we do while here on earth, we are to spend our time doing two things. We're to be living for the kingdom that's going to come. And secondly, we're to be using our body and honoring the Lord with our current body. Last thing we're going to see here. Look up here on the board. These are the stages that occur for our glorious body. The Bible tells us we will be like His glorious body. And three things are going to happen. Last things here. Number one, when you are saved, you are converted. A conversion happens. God puts His seed inside of you. That seed comes to life at a point of our death. When you are saved and you walk this aisle and you pray and ask Jesus into your life, that is biblical conversion. All these folks driving past our church, all the folks here in Lexington that do not know Jesus, the folks in Vermont that do not know Jesus, the folks in Cincinnati that do not know Jesus. Our mission is to tell them about the Lord. Our message of everything we do here at Broadway Baptist should be pointing people to Christ. Because listen, without conversion, you are not going to receive a glorious body. Will not happen. Number two, the likeness is moral perfection. Right now, we live in sinful fallen state. Jesus calls us to sanctification. That's why we live for Him. That's why we give our time, our energies, our monies. That's why what we do, we're, we're striving for that. That's why we live a holy life. Remember, remember Jesus. He never sinned. He committed no sin. There was nothing wrong or immoral found in Him. That is the state, the perfect state that Jesus was able to live for here on earth. We will be like in heaven. That's why it's so important that Jesus lived a sinless life. Not only was he a sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice for us, he was also showing us, my, because I, my, I live this way, that will be your likeness in heaven. We will be the, certainly the same. But what happens is, obviously... As much as we want to live for the Lord, we still sin. We fall short of the glory of God. Upon our death at that point, the Lord makes us into a sinless person. When we go to heaven, when we stand before God and we're led into the new Jerusalem there in Revelation chapter 21. Church, listen, there is no more sin. There's no more decision making of picking right or wrong. It's gone. It has ceased. It's a restoration of the Garden of Eden, Eden without the devil. Number three, finally we see here, this last stage. This is our transformation. Our bodies change at Jesus' second coming. 
we do not receive our final glorified body until Jesus' second coming. So, Daniel, what happens? I die. The Bible tells us to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what that means is the moment a believer dies, immediately their soul enters into the presence of the Lord. But at that point, even though they're there in heaven, they have not received their eternal, final, glorified body. We do not receive that until Jesus' second coming. So that's why even people in heaven await the second coming of Christ. Because they know that's when they receive their final state. You say, well, Daniel, what are we just going to be sitting around waiting for the second coming? We have to remember, we live in time. Like you're looking at your clock, it's already after 12. Time does not exist in heaven. It does not exist. It's eternal. There is no time. And what happens is, we know what happens for us is, at that second coming of Christ, Jesus has brought everything to completion. And this morning for us, in this entire sermon series here on heaven, answering all these questions this whole month, we want to be able to say, we want to confidently be able to say, I have that seed inside of me. So either when Jesus comes back or I pass away, I know that seed comes to new life. So, should we be excited for heaven? Absolutely. We put our resources, you put our time, you put your focus. Your citizenship is not as a U.S. citizen. It's not as a Roman citizen. Our citizenship that matters is one for the Lord. It's for heaven. And we want to live a life here on earth today for tomorrow. Do not waste your life. Do not waste your time. Do not waste your energies on things that do not matter. Guys, our church should be a missions and an evangelistic, a gospel-centered church. If we're not doing that, we're at the wrong church. Our passion should be pointing people to Jesus. That's what we do. That's the purpose of why God has us here. This morning, about to have our invitation. I'm going to buy our band to come follow, Chris. If you have never responded to Jesus, if you have never made that commitment where God plants his seed inside of you, that you will experience the rebirth at the second coming or upon your death. Folks, you need to do that today. You need to give your lives to Jesus. If you were at camp this past week with Zach Bauer and you got saved, you need to come forward and take Zach's hand and say, I want to make it public. You need to get baptized. You want to join this church. There's an outstanding church to join. There's a missions-focused church to be a part of. A Bible-believing church that's focused on kingdom work. Church is for you. Jesus died for the church. 
We come here as a body of believers worshiping him. Let's stand together. Chris is going to lead us in a song. I'll be standing out front waiting for you to make a decision this morning. With you I want for nothing 
so glad that you were with us this morning. We're thankful that you were here. Uh, we want to remind you that we'll be back uh, tonight at 6 o'clock for our evening worship. We'd invite you to join us for that. And then we're on a regular schedule this Wednesday as well. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're enough. You're our sustainer. You're our provider. You're our creator. Uh, Lord, in you we have everything we need. God, we love you. We thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you were honored in it. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would continue to move in and among our midst this week. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you this evening. Have a good afternoon.